Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, brought to you by our patrons, where you learn how to love what is good and become what you love. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and the art of being human. We're more than a subscription company. Love Good is a movement of artists, patrons, and young people who believe in the power of beauty to change the world. And we're so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. I don't know how many of you are hearing an episode for the first time today, or if you are one of our longtime listeners going all the way back, now two and a half years. I mean, early days. We're talking Janae Trudell as my co-host. We're talking interviews with Cimarelli, Luke Smallbone of For King and Country, and a lot of other amazing singer-songwriters like Dave Barnes. You know, people that had so much to offer by way of not just their music and their storytelling, but also their way of life that I think has inspired so many of us now for so many years. So for those of you who are tuning in and you're kind of new to Love Good, it might be that you are a really big fan of the guy that I'm about to welcome into the studio and onto the podcast. And his name is Tyson Motzenbacher. And we had a bonus episode with him two summers ago that blew my mind. And even in the midst of you know, him in a lot of sorrow as he was grieving the loss of his mother several years ago. You can even hear in that the joy that comes in the waiting and in the the pressing in. And that's really what so much of today's conversation is about, except not in regard to, you know, grief or sorrow and then that great capacity and that great power of joy, but more specifically fear and hope right? And the fact that fear for so many of us is a poison. Fear is what holds us back and even leads us to a a place of paralysis sometimes. We can't even make a decision because we're so afraid of the consequences or whether or not we have what it takes, right? And so today the the message is very simple, that hope is the remedy. If fear is the poison, hope is the remedy. And so you know, this is an opportunity to not only, I think, be super inspired by Tyson and just the the heart that he brings into every conversation, but also his brand new album that just released on Friday called Someday I'll Make It All Up To You. It's an amazing project. It's one that you're probably already listening to if you are a fan of great singer-songwriters in the love good vein. And I can't wait for you to hear some stories behind that as well. So hang in there. I'll be back in just a few moments with Tyson Matzenbacher. Charlottesville and the leaves have changed I leaned in, told the brightest one your name So she lives inside the October light Don't leave my side, leave my side But I was waiting so long to be alone with you Tyson Matzenbacher, welcome to the Love Good Podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really good to have you back. Last time was about a year and a half ago in between season one and season two of the podcast. Mm -hmm. We were not in person. I think we were trusting the miracles of technology via Skype. Yeah. And you were in San Diego, which is still where you live. It is, yeah. Yeah, well, welcome to Nashville. I know you're here for at least a a week or so prepping for a big tour with Colony House. Yep. Super exciting. We can't wait to hear all about that. But you also are in the midst of CD release week. Things are happening with your new album. We want to hear all about that. But first, for those who perhaps didn't listen to that bonus episode, who yeah. are getting to know you, a few very simple questions. The first okay. is, what is your most unusual talent, Tyson? My most unusual talent? Oh, man, that's good. Out of the box. Things people don't expect. Okay, I would say that there's I, there's three things that I, that I can do that I think I'm better than all. Mo- I think I'm better at them than anyone that I know. <laughs> okay. And they're all unusual. Right. First one is skipping rocks. Really? 
really good rock skipper. Yeah, how much of it is finding the right rock and then just technique? Most of it. Yeah. <laughs> there's these there's these lakes in Idaho, like kind of where I grew up, and they have like these the it's all slate, so the yeah. rocks like break apart perfectly. You can get big ones. Oh man, you get you get a smooth lake with one of those. I love it. Oh yeah, you can get So you're the, the best as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. No one else has ever even claimed that title in my life. The best. I feel like there's the there's guys that are like I'm not a great throw like there's baseball players that if they could figure out the technique, they'd be better than me for sure. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've got the technique out <laughs> You got the corner market on that technique. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, was there another yeah, one? Yeah, there's actually so the second one is hacky sack. I'm really good at hacky sack. <laughs> Because in high school, that was like, I was trying to find things that nobody else could, oh, nobody yeah. else did. Yeah. Pretty good at hacky sack. Yeah. When I was in college, that was the rage. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And then the third one is inner tube battles behind boat, like ski boats. Heck yeah. Is it just hanging on for dear life? Is that what you're good at? Yeah. Or? There's also, there's a couple moves you can do. <laughs> you mind describing one of those moves? Yeah. Okay. But this is just, uh, this is a secret. If, and if, and if I ever have to inner tube battle somebody that listen to this, they can't use this move. All right. So like. So, you know, obviously the driver is going back and forth and the tubes are swinging, right? Well, whenever the tubes are going one direction, crossing the wake, right? you put all your weight on the inside so you don't flip out yeah, to the outside, yeah, right? Of course. So what you do is you wait until, so you're, there's two tubes. You're on, the, you're on the outside and there's someone on the inside. And you wait till right till you're going to go across the wake and then you just kick them the other way. Nice. Because all their weight's on the inside. <laughs> Works every time. So did this just happen uh, instinctually once, or were you pushing against instinct when this happened the first time? How did you discover this? Yeah, well, you watch people because they're like, I mean, if you if, if you have like an aggressive driver, like yeah. a, somebody's dad probably, then you're, and you aren't all the way on the other side, you're going to fall off. So you have to be prepared for both options. This is great. This is yeah. great. This is a place where no Love Good podcast has ever begun. Which there brings me to my next big question. Yeah. <laughs> What's something that our listeners would never guess about you? Oh man, that's a great question. Some listeners would never guess. I think one one thing is that I am more of a cat person. Oh. I know. It's <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I like dogs a lot, but we I feel like when I was growing up, we had one really rough dog and a bunch of super chill cats. Mm -hmm. And I liked the cats. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Like, cause it's yeah. like not a cool thing to be. No, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one that I'm reticent to admit. Yeah. But we have this this cat that lives in our neighborhood and he, she adopted, adopted me. Oh, yeah. And so, and this, and it just like, it's just the sweetest little cat, dude. And I'm a, kind of allergic to him too. So I like, it's this real love hate situation. Wow. But uh, like we put this string in the roof. We took like a string and put it in the roof, like the ceiling of our, of our house. And the cat just like. Lays on his back, plays with the string, and I'm like, I love this cat. <laughs> love sounds, this cat. Sounds low maintenance, which is really oh, cool. Oh, yeah, it just comes and goes. Like, it's it's, it's the <laughs> most low. That's actually probably why. Because I'm on the road so much, so it's like I could never have a dog, yeah. at least right now. Yeah. The cat's is like, I like this cat. I don't even know where it lives or what it does, but it's just like, it's fine. That's great. That's right. great. I, I think mostly smart people in my life or older people in my life that I really look up to as wise, mm -hmm. sage figures. Oh, I have cats. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. I mean, it's true, but I struggle with it because I look up to these people yeah. and they love their cats. People hate, that's the thing about cats. It's so funny. That's why I like, I think I'm, I'm always so reticent to admit yeah. it because yeah. people like dogs, like everybody loves a dog. Like they, you know, they're like bred to smile at you. Mm -hmm. You can't not like that, <laughs> you know, and they're like loyal to a fault. Like everything about a dog is just kind of like what you want. Yeah to yeah. be the case out of an animal. So good. But cats are like, they're just kind of, they're kind of jerks and they kind of yeah. like, that's kind of one of the reasons why I like them though. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Mischievous. They're always up to something. Totally. Okay, great. Uh, the last in the trilogy of questions okay. for you that have nothing to do with music yeah. or your career or this new album or the tour that's unfolding soon. Question number three, what's the most awkward thing that happens to you on a regular basis? Oh man, I like that one. <laughs> On, when I'm on tour, people tend to be really worried about my salvation. Yeah. Especially when I'm doing things that are like more leaning more towards that type of crowd. Right. Like I did a tour with John Mark McMillan, who's mm. a dear friend, an awesome guy. He's written a bunch of really big worship songs for the church. Yeah. He has like a lot of different music, but his most kind of most well-known songs are like church music songs. Mm -hmm. And so I would like, I opened his tour and... People were really worried about me. So yeah. so I'll get kind of like, people will pray at me a lot. Oh, wow, yeah. Like try to kind of like, you know, and it's imbued with passion and it's coming from a good place, but like 
sometimes I'll have to like stop them and be like, Hey, look, like, wow, you're okay. Yeah. I'm okay. We're good. Yeah. But that's always like when people are like praying at you, that's, that's always really awkward. And it happens a lot to me. Just yeah. kind of like the situations that I put myself in. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause you hear that phrase a lot <laughs> when you think of like public speakers, teachers, yeah. even preachers, right. Who talk at you. Mm-hmm. This is the, you know, age old complaint from teenagers yeah. that adults just talk at us. Right. I've never actually heard it in that context. That yeah, there I, is something called praying at people, uh-huh. which is usually praying a little bit maybe against your your will or at the very least against their real proper understanding of who you are. Right. And what it is that you actually need prayers for. Yeah, sure. You know, which brings me to, uh, I hope, the first <laughs> meaningful question yeah. of this conversation, which is you're obviously kind of living in a, in a beautiful, what we might call via media, you mm. know, that middle way where clearly if you've got people on one side concerned about your salvation yeah. that you know I don't I can only imagine the sorts of venues that that's happening at yeah. but I'm guessing you know more likely Baptist churches than nightclubs with Actually, those kinds of tensions it it'll ha- that for sure there yeah. but it'll, it'll ha- it happens all over the place Seriously. It's, it's, oh yeah it'll happen at clubs and stuff too but yeah I, I would cuz I don't really play at churches if I can help yeah. it there's been a couple times where that's been the case but but yeah but it's right. it is people it's I think it's people of a very and again, the thing about it is that it's like, I, I love, I think that like, I, I always try to see the best in people, of course, at least I do. And I think that like, I always, from those people, I see where they're coming from. They're like, mm-hmm. they're worried about me, mm-hmm. you know? And they're worried about like, not just about necessarily, just about like, what's going to happen to me when I die, but also just like about my relationship with God and my relationship to right. what they, you know, truth and all this. But yeah, it is, it's, that's definitely the case. So and then. Actually, what's really what really blew my mind is that when I did the tour with Jude and the Lion, which was a radio crowd, people on the on the left, well, we'll call it the left, but people that were, so you have kind of conservative, the conservative like evangelical crowd, mm-hmm. which is what I grew up with for mm-hmm. sure, and I s- still have a lot in common with those people. And then there's people that are kind of more on the secular side that yeah. have nothing to do with that, and those people were really offended with me also. Like those people would really get worried about me. I had a one when I played the Ryman here in town. Yeah. I had, a, I had a a woman. She stormed out, like made a big, big thing out of it. Like so interesting, right? See, yeah. and this is actually a really good indicator again of this via media. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing this right now unfold left and right in the political mm-hmm. sphere because it's an election year, and so right. everybody has to be pigeonholed somewhere yeah. along right. the way. But the reality is, I think to. To live in reality, to 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 grapple with truth, like mm-hmm. objective truth that yeah. we know is ultimately a person and his name is Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Is to not fall into political, liberal, or conservative spectrums. It's right. certainly not to fall into extremes. It's almost always a good sign of yeah. virtue being in the middle that people on one side think, whatever, mm-hmm. you're a crazy liberal or a crazy charismatic or fill in the blank right. with some extreme adjective. And then over here, a crazy conservative right. or a crazy traditionalist or whatever. Yeah, The fact that you got that critique coming from both sides yeah. is a great sign. <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great sign. I think that's the tension I'm always trying to live in. And that's really what is coming across in yeah. these five singles that have released, at least at the the time of this podcast recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time it releases, your brand new full-length album is yeah. out. Someday I'll make it all up to you. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of words for it's an album title. a lot of words. I always do that. I just put too many words on things. <laughs> it works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had to look down and just make, yeah, sure, make sure I, I got, got each right. one of those words right. But there has always been something rich and authentic oh, in your you. songwriting. And I think we, we definitely saw that in 2016 mm-hmm. with Letters to Lost Loves. And I know so much of that was a process of, of, of grieving and, and healing right. from, from your mother's yeah. passing. And you invited us into that in mm. a way that was really pretty incredible Thank and you. humbling. Mm-hmm. And I think it gave everybody else in the world permission to be vulnerable with you. Yeah. Cause that's something we all struggle with. But again, this, this desire to be sincere, mm. to tell the truth, to not be pigeonholed or to fall into whatever the camps are that exist right. in the world, in the church, outside the church, in the culture at large, in mm-hmm. politics, not in politics, in this country and other countries. Yeah, What drives that? And how do you maintain that genuineness and that pursuit that is, is actually hard for people to put into a box? So what drives it and how do you maintain it? I think it's a lot of the time, it's like something that, 
that really makes me uncomfortable. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a couple songs on this record. There's actually when we when I was writing this record, you know, we had like, I mean, I've been writing this record for a long time, but we had we had this giant Dropbox full of files, you know, of all these demos and stuff, and and it was like really clear to me that like there were. I would kind of like go down the list and there were, there were a handful of songs that made me really, really uncomfortable. Hmm. And, and me personally, like, you know, like saying like, this is, and it's me, me always like kind of trying to put two, two different things together. You know, there's a, like a, I realized that like for a long time, you know, I was kind of like, like for instance, there's a song on, on the new record that's called I Miss the Old Days Too. Hmm. And it's that, that's a really great example of, of what I'm talking about, which is basically that like, I realized that for years, I'm always like quick to kind of point out, try to point out the problems yeah. and to try to say like, this is, this is the inconsistencies. These are the places where I think that we're being hypocritical. And I usually try to do that on my own team most mm. often. Right. Mm-hmm. Say so like, like I, like I would, like I would identify as a, as an evangelical Christian, you know? And like, there's a lot of things that are like about that, that are, that I see pretty big problems with. Yeah. And not only in the systematic like the system of it, but also like just in the, in the details of how people identify that way or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I realized that like what I was doing is I was, I was always able to kind of like stand back and point out problems without ever taking responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized that like, you know, so I'm a, I'm a sentimental person. I'm a nostalgist, right? You can tell that from listening to any of my songs. Like I'm, I'm sentimental. And, and I was realizing that, you know, I, I have, what I tend to do is I, and I sit back and I'll, I'll point out problems in politics, for instance, like, like the, and, and I, I understand why people, for instance, like, and I'm not going to make this a political thing or whatever, but I understand why people voted for Donald Trump in the election. I, like, I understand why they did that. And also to me, like the fact that it was conservative Christians that kind of, and, and Catholics and people of virtue or people mm-hmm. that are standing under a flag of virtue are the ones that kind of championed him or, right. or at least did so from the shadows. Like they're the ones that kind of like, yeah. Flipped him up there. Nobody wanted to be too loud. Yeah, they're supportive of him. <laughs> but I also understand. I understand sort of this the the reasons why, like kind of underlying that. Because you know, mm. you can say back say like, well, but this guy has nothing to do with anything that you believe in. Yeah, and like that to me is pretty objective, right? It's like you you could take any person that is any Christian or mm-hmm. or Catholic or person of faith and say like, like let's just make a list of all the things that you believe in, all the things that this guy is clearly like, like his most like loudest tenants like they're not they're just not the same it's like yeah. it's easy to see that and i stood back and i realized that like i was doing the same thing all the time as hip i was just as hypocritical saying like mm-hmm. you know i sit around all the time and say like i wish like i i the things that i miss the most are old things it's the old days yeah. like it's maga right like that's my thing is like that i am a nostalgist like i want things to be how they were yeah i want houses to be cheap in southern california and i want to you know, be able to go surf the waves without anybody else out. And I want to listen to the Beach Boys and build old motorcycles. Like, there's like, these. this is what I want. Yeah. And realistically, you know, when I was on, I have a friend named Keith who plays cello. And he's a black dude from L.A. And he plays cello. And I took him on tour when Letters to Slows came out. And it was the first time. It was him and then my friend Andrew, who's also a black dude from L.A. And it was the three of us in a car <laughs> on tour. It was the first time that I'd ever been the racial minority in a group. Yeah. And I started to be able to see things through their eyes. Like I went and talked to some cops in Tucson and they were, I was talking to these cops and we were having a friendly conversation. And then I looked back and the two of the cops had their hands on their guns and they were looking at Keith wow. and Andrew. And I was wow. like, oh my gosh, like we live in different worlds here. Yeah, You know, not to make that a, a thing where it's like, because real quick, what happens in that scenario is you, you move to policy, mm-hmm. you move to change like change right like this is why it's broken and this is how we need how to change it and i was like i need to stop at that point at the event horizon of just realizing that like not even necessarily like you're part of the problem but like things are different and you don't really understand the world Mm. and and that like you are at least someone that is like just as as imbued just as stitched into the fabric of the of the problem as anyone else yeah and to say like to take to take responsibility mm-hmm. for it. It reminds me so much of a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He talks uh-huh. about what's wrong with the world. This yeah. was like when he was a front page columnist for the London Times. And they said, if you could just respond in 300 words or less, what you think is wrong with the world, Yeah, we would love that. And so he responded with two words, I am. Right. You know, immediately knew his place and his part in this mm-hmm. mess that is the world, you know, and human right. history. I mean, it's really powerful yeah. to identify our place in that fabric. And uh, yeah. also 
to keep our standards high. Because if we're not all to some extent hypocrites, right. we just don't have high enough standards, right. you know? And that doesn't mean that we don't keep chasing after those higher ideals. Totally. And this is, again, what I think so much of your music does for me. It gives me an encounter with the mystery of life, mm-hmm. the joys and the sufferings. Definitely would say the, the, the suffering was evident mm-hmm. in the 2016 release, as was the yeah. hope right. that carried you through that. There is a lot more joy in this new album. Ah, uh, cool. Which is exciting, and I'm sure that's indicative or reflective mm-hmm. of the season that you're in. But each of those encounters, whether it's suffering or joy, as much in as much as it's an encounter with beauty, it, mm-hmm. it lifts my heart towards higher things. It cool. makes me long for the richer, deeper, fuller human experience. Yeah. So let's talk about the album. It has released on a Thursday. Am I catching it's that It's a Friday. Right? It's okay. on Friday. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. That's actually what Jamie told me. Yeah. In my notes right here, it says February 13th, which made no sense to me. Oh, yeah. No one releases music on Thursday. No, yeah. It's on the yeah. It's on, on Valentine's Day. Figured, which is, me, and, me and the Bieber. Which is, yeah. yeah. Oh, shoot. That's <laughs> a lot to compete with. Uh, I, I'm cool with it, man. I'm like, that guy, you yeah. can do whatever he wants. It's the Biebs. The, the Biebs. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's great. And, and obviously... I don't know how much of that was intentional, a Valentine's Day mm-hmm. release. I would love to hear if there was anything behind that. But even some of the artwork that has mm. come out on these singles yeah. leading up to this full-length album, and certainly the lyrical depth and introspection mm. that you invite us into on some of those singles. What's been this journey over the last three years yeah. of writing these songs, of now slowly releasing these singles, you seem like you're in a different place. Yeah. And that should be true and hopefully true of all of us. That yeah. To live is to change, to really become the fullness of who we're supposed to be is to change often. Yeah. What season are you in right now? It's a great question. I, I've been, that's a, that's a question that I, even from the beginning, I think I like, you know, I had all these songs I was trying to write and they're all, you know, indicative of the places, the place that I was, especially after Let Us Lost Loves came out. The guy that produced this record is, his name is Tyler Chester, mm-hmm. and he lives in Los Angeles. And he's a he's one of these guys that like I met I met him through the Switchfoot guys through like John Foreman and those guys. Tyler is he plays in a band called Fiction Family, which is yeah John Foreman and my friend Aaron, and then oh my gosh, my brain's not working right now. I'm doing the same thing. Uh, Nickel uh, Creek. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I can't think of his name, but people yeah. are yelling at us right now. I know. I know. <laughs> Keep talking, I'll look it up. No. I, uh, anyway, but he lives in lives in LA and he's a producer and he makes just incredible stuff. He's one of these guys, he plays bass and keys at the same time for a guy named Blake Mills, which mm. some people think is the best guitar player in the world. So he's just like this musical phenomenon. But he's also a really kind of patient, soft-spoken, really wise guy. Hmm. And the way that we started this record is I was in his, he has a studio in, up in Los Angeles and I, would, I was driving back and forth from San Diego. So I would drive up in the morning and then we'd work well late into the night and then I'd drive back at like, you know, one or two in the morning. And then we were in a studio really late one night and he was, he was just asking me like, what is this, what is this record about? Like, what is it about? Which is, is a funny question because like all the music I've made up to this point is so obvious. It's like, Letters to Lost Loves is like, it's the most cohesive. It's just like, it's a super specific snapshot of a moment in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of sitting there and we were making this tape loop for this part and I was, I was trying to figure it out and I and uh, kind of what, the way that you were talking about it between like that, the way that like, I always hoped that letters had hope in it, that it had joy. Mm. And and I think that a lot of people, it, it was an interesting reaction to that record because people would like, they would say, man, it's so hard to listen to some of this stuff. Wow, yeah. But it still inspires this feeling of joy to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why I, I would, that was, that was like the greatest thing that somebody could say about that record to me was like in this sadness, there is like a sense of joy because like, I think that, you know, as, as people, like the worst thing that you can do is to insulate yourself and to stay comfortable and to be right down the, like to, to not challenge yourself on either side of the spectrum. Yeah. Because I think that, and I think we talked about this last time, but it's like the idea that like if, when you understand the fullness of the grief in your life, when you're able to like kind of lean into that by like by the nature of doing that you've opened yourself up to a whole new spectrum of joy yeah yeah it's like those two things are two sides of the same coin it's almost like grief is carving out a capacity a deeper capacity exactly Mm -hmm. and and i really i knew that about letters from the beginning was that like it's about it's about grief and the opposite of grief being inherent and present in that we'll be back in just a moment with tyson matzenbacher 
All right, as you can tell, this is one of our longer conversations. And every now and then this happens where I'm sitting down with an artist and I just don't want them to stop talking. And I'm sure that's exactly how I would feel if I was seeing Tyson Matzenbacher live. The guy is amazing. And you can tell he is pressing in to the mysteries of life in such a personal and powerful way that it just spills out, of course, in his songwriting, but also in the conversation that you're hearing right now. It's really been an inspiration for me every time I've ever met Tyson and had conversations like this. So all that to say, I didn't want to miss the opportunity for you to know about something before anybody else knows about it. And that is, drumroll please, the 2020 Love Good Contest. Okay, we haven't done something like this in about two years. And this is your chance to inspire your family, your friends, everybody you know, including your crazy uncle next door to become a Love Good patron. And here's the catch. You have the entire month of March to get on board and at different reward levels by bringing in one patron all the way up to 20, you can win a free trip to Nashville. You can win a free private house concert, okay? You can win a full-blown vinyl record player, at the very least, an autograph vinyl from love good favorite, Scott Mulvihill. So we're gonna talk a lot more about that next week when I have a very special guest on the show. But for now, get signed up so that you can begin preparing and paving a way to win this contest, to win big, and to come see us in Nashville, Tennessee at absolutely no cost to yourself. So again, check out lovegoodcontest.com and get signed up now. What I knew about this record was that I was scared. Like that's obvious to me. And I think especially the first song on the record that nobody's heard yet, it's called Highline. And it's just about like being scared. It's about Mm. being afraid of the future. Yeah. And I knew that was the case. Like, I, I knew that it was about being afraid. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really understand, like, what the high side of it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think, like, Tyler was Tyler was in there, and I'm just talking to him. And, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm dating a girl from Canada. Tyler married a Canadian. So wow. we have a lot in common. And he went through the whole process of getting her to move to Los Angeles and getting her a green card and, and it was, I mean, obviously she, she did it. He didn't get her a green card, but you know, they went through this immigration yeah. process and her being unable to work and a whole new country and city way far away from her family, which is what I'm going through right now. And we were talking about that a little bit. And I realized that like, it's the same in some ways it's the same record, mm. except that instead of grief and joy, it's, it's fear and hope. Right. Yeah, nice. And, and that was actually like extremely liberating for me was going into it saying like, I mean, even that title, it's like, someday I'll make it all up to you. It's like, it's this, it's the sense that like, man, I don't like things are, are really wrong right now and they don't look good, <laughs> you know, or they, they look scary. Yeah. At least they look scary. And that's, I think that's the case for me personally. It's the case for us as a society. It's like fear is baked into every corner of our lives. Of, yeah. I mean, it's, it is right under the surface and everything I read, everything mm. I see yeah. is this deep fear. It's just like, man, we are on the precipice of something. Yeah. And it's never even really clear what that something is, you know, it, and anytime something bad comes up, it's like, I mean, you even see, like, I think it's really funny when the new year comes and everybody's like, this is, there's all these memes. It's like, this is our year, 2020, 2019, 2018, this is our year. And then something bad happens, right? Like David Bowie dies or Mm -hmm. the coronavirus happens. And everybody's like, it's just the same. It's the same. It's all the same. New New Year's the same. And realizing that like, we're always like, as a society and as me individually, we're always looking for the thing that is going to be like we're standing on this ledge looking down at this vast darkness and we're like, we don't know what's down there. And then anything that bad happens in our world, it's like, oh, that's what's down there is stuff mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. But we don't even really know what's down there. It's like, what's down there? And even if, and you're not down there, like you're you're up here still yeah. on this ledge. Yeah. And if you fell into it, you don't even know what would necessarily be down there. Mm-hmm. It's just this like, that fear is actually the poison. Yeah. It's like way more so than any of the bad stuff that's happening, right? Yeah. And realizing that, like, if I can kind of tackle that fear, if I can look it in the face, mm-hmm. maybe that is the same the same as me looking at grief like I did with letters. Yeah. That, like, when I understand the grief, I understand the joy. And that with with this record, it's like, man, if, maybe if I can understand the fear, I can understand the hope. Yeah. And I think that's that's true. It's a lot more complicated than the first one was. So cool. As you were talking, especially about all these surface-level fears that mm-hmm. just at any given moment could rise, you're right? And and 
paralyze us. I'm reminded of a, a book we just published called mm. The Princess and the Goblin by George McDonald. George McDonald. Have you read this book? I'm a massive George McDonald fan. Okay. Have you yeah. read this one yet? I haven't read I know So I know a lot about that book, but I mean, that's one that I've never read. So it's Chesterton's favorite, which is what yeah. really brought it to my attention. And one of the reasons that Chesterton loves it so much is because it, though it's a wild fantasy, unimaginably you know, cool and weird, right? Weird, yeah. He does stuff that's always, I'm like, (laughs) like one of my favorite books of all time is At the Back of the North Wind. Nice. Which is a fantasy novel by him. Okay. But it's, I've actually been talking about that book a lot, but I'll- I'll, That's great. I want to go back to that, but that's, uh, you'll be reading along in in his fantasy. Yeah. Because like, yeah, like C.S. Lewis is like science fiction stuff or whatever. It's weird, but it still kind of goes, it still kind of follows a thread, but George McDonald would be like, Where's he going with this? And then all of a sudden it's like, that was out of nowhere. Yeah, that's right. And that's how I appreciated so much this little essay by Chesterton on this book because it helped me find the thread. And the thread was this, it's a princess living in a castle and there's this entire underground world of goblins. You know, that at any given Uh, moment, especially at night, could come come up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. And here's the reality is, it's only those who fear them and who actually specifically can't make music in their presence Whoa. that they have the most control over. And of course, the music then becomes this, I would say, analogy for, for beauty, you know, to, to live life with, with confidence. Wonder. And wonder. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. And so she ends up being saved by this minor boy right. uh, who is able to basically drop rhymes mm-hmm. spontaneously. Every time he bumps into these goblins, they can't handle it. They shriek <laughs> and they they hightail it in the opposite direction. Yeah. But how many of us live in fear? Even if our, yeah. our day-to-day lives feel like that beautiful castle and we're protected by King Papa, as right. she says, you know, her dad. Yeah. Even as Christians, we can live under the the Lord's providence, but still live with fear yeah. of these goblins that are going to come out at night. Well, even you in know? that scenario, something that's really interesting to me is that like living in that castle, right? Like this princess is. Yeah. The the whole like the whole the I mean the 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 title of the book gives it all away. It's mm-hmm. like the princess and the goblin. It's like there even if you are in that castle, like your life is being ruined by these goblins. It doesn't yeah. even matter if they get you or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like, right. It's just as bad. It's like yeah. if they get you, that's bad, but like living in the fear of them is all arguably worse. Yes. And especially when you don't, especially when you allow it to like take on new life and become bigger than it probably is. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that, that whole story, like that story doesn't exist if the princess is like, okay, there's goblins down there and like, maybe they're going to get me one day, but like, that's okay. Yeah. Story yeah. over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the point is that like that, yeah, that's about the fear and wonder, which is, that's really cool. Fear is the poison. I love that you said that. And I think that's actually what's really sad about our growing world of commerce and what some people are calling, what's the phrase I keep hearing? Our era of surveillance capitalism, right? Where we yeah. actually have multi-million billion dollar companies mm-hmm. who are at any given moment behind... I guess our screens, our phones, our social media behavior, tracking our behavior in some ways is, you know, increasingly manipulating it as well, but then selling that behavior to other companies who then can use it for their marketing. I bring that up because fear is obviously one of the most effective ways to get people to get on board whatever it is that you're offering products, services, you name it, even a political campaign yeah. is often built on people's fears and right. those pain points. Yeah. And that can be really manipulative. But what I think is so amazing about this album and again, beauty in general, is it never manipulates. It might persuade, yeah. but even more powerfully, it it pierces mm. and leaves us in that state of wonder to yeah. where we can't help but begin to again, grapple with the truth. Right. So I would love to just briefly chat about one of these songs. So yeah. you've got these singles that are already out. Uh-huh. Autumn Love, Come to California. Sunday Mornings yeah. is probably our favorite around here in the office. And there's some really powerful things happening here. Your imagery is is storytelling at its best. Mm. But I am really curious, who's Adrian? Man, okay. So Adrian is a, is a, is a, sort of fictional character in Got this it. in this story but it's based on something very real. Yeah. There was a so for a lot of years I was in this very odd balance which is that I was I was touring about half the year. And then the other half of the year I was 
I had, a, I had a really dear friend. Actually, his name is David Matsumura. He was in a bunch of ska bands back in wow. the like, early 2000s. Yeah. He plays trombone on this new record. Cool. He's a killer trombone player. But he had this business out of college where he would he put a band together. And he would call all these churches and Christian high schools and stuff in California. Because there's all of these like, there's kind of like big money Christianity in California. Interesting. It, yeah. Which seems sort of like it wouldn't be the case. But it, it is like. There's a bunch of places that have a lot of money that are, you know, Christian entities. And he would book his band to play events and chapels at their colleges and mm-hmm. camps for their, you know, and all this stuff. So I played half the year touring my own music. And then half the year I would, I was a, played bass in his band. Yeah. So we were playing all these chapels and stuff. And, and a lot of, a lot of those people are still really dear friends of mine. The people that we met doing that are people, you know, the chaplains at these schools and stuff. And, are people that I really, really love and admire. And some of them are just incredible people. But some of them were really gnarly. It was like, the way, the best way that I can describe it is that some of these were schools where their parents were, you know, big Silicon Valley or big LA, like entertainment people. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't have any time for their kids. So they kind of like would dump them off at these schools and they would kind of expect the school to do the job of like making them we'll say like to follow the values of what they hoped their family would yeah. look like. Yeah. And so it was just like a, it's basically venture capital. It's like I pay money for my kid to go to your school and then you make them smart and get into the good college and Christians. And so these camps that we would play would be this would that was supposed to be kind of the conversion moment every year where like the church would do this big thing and then they would count numbers and they would report back to the families. Like we had so this number of kids made decisions at this camp or whatever. And it was extreme. Some of them were extremely manipulative where yeah. kids are crying because they're tired. Yeah. And they're away from home for the first time or whatever. And our job is to like soundtrack that. And sometimes I'm like, I'm the one singing and I'm doing it. Yeah. And the guy's like, the guy's like, you know, he's like the the pastor or whatever. It's like, he's trying to like, conduct me to make it to make the emotions run harder or whatever Mm. and it just felt so crazy and just manipulative and and i couldn't figure out really what felt so wrong about it and then the moment that i like the connection moment was we were playing a festival on vancouver island in canada Mm -hmm. and we were playing the the main one of the main stages was in this gym at this high school and we were about to go on and we went backstage where all the bands were and the it was like the locker room in this gym and it was all these like white folding tables and they were just covered in drugs so like wow. there was like you know there was like cocaine table and then there was like mushroom tea table and then there's like you know it's just covered in alcohol and everybody's in there and everybody is just like blasted you know i mean people are frothing in there wow <laughs> and, and there was this incredible sense of camaraderie that I felt in that locker room where everybody felt like they were the kings of the world hmm. and they were all, and and they were all together. There was like kind of this cohesiveness and this, this weird like brotherhood between everybody. And I was like, and I was like, why is everybody on the same team right now? Like usually these people are all competing with each other to yeah. like be the big band or whatever. And I was like, Oh, it's because they're all high. They're all, they're all feeling the same thing at the same time. And it feels spiritual. Yeah. And I realized that like I had seen it before mm. and it was the same thing that I had seen at some of these, some of these church camps. That's uh, an intense parallel. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's this, it's the same. Yeah. And, and like, like the same, like yeah. it looked the same. Hmm. And, and I'm, I was thinking to myself like, man, but one of them is not pretending to be anything like one or, or pretending is the wrong word because like, I'm not like, you know, I'm not the one to say that, like those are false experiences or whatever. Like I don't have, like I don't know how God works. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know how like spiritual experiences work. I don't know any of that stuff. Who's to say any of that? But I was like, but one of these is just people being high, and they know it. They're not pretending to be experiencing God. Yeah, they're just high. And the other one is it's it's like under this banner of like the Holy spirit moving and like God being a part of this thing and it being big, a big, beautiful, universal truth. Mm-hmm. And all I realized in that moment, I was like, I was like, I just feel like, I just think they should feel different. Mm. 
And I don't know, you know, I'm not making any statements of whether one's one or not or whatever. It's just like they should feel different. Yeah. Because like if God is real and God is eternal and God is loving and he is knowing and he is jealous and powerful and all the things that I believe him to be, it has to be, maybe it just, maybe it just has to cost more. Yeah. Like maybe it just has to cost more. Mm. I, I think that was what I realized is like, if all we're seeking in these, in these scenarios is to feel good at the same time, that's so, such a cheap version of, of enormity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a moment recently where somebody sent me this Reddit thread about people talking about a song off my first record called In Your Name. And it was, and, and, and this guy said, he posted the music video to it and he was like, hey, this song played a big role in my deconversion. Mm. What do you guys think? As people talking about their deconversions, it was like ex-evangelicals talking about wow. why they had stopped being people that believed in something. And so it was all these people talking about the song and then, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, is that what I wanted? Mm. Was that the goal? Was the goal to like tear it down? Because I've always said from the beginning that like tearing things down is a lazy way to deal with a problem. Yeah. It's like anybody can tear something down. It's really, really hard to try to point towards something better. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm doing? Like, am I yeah. just tearing things down for the sake of tearing them down? Which is not what I want. And this guy wrote something below and he was like, you know, the funny thing is that with a lot of this stuff, like he's like, you know, what hap- What tends to happen in Christian circles or Christian messaging for mm-hmm. sure is that they make a little mess. It's like storytelling, right? You put a little conflict and then you clean it up, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Jesus flips the table over, but then he does something, you know, then right afterwards is, you know, he's, he's doing good stuff again. Yeah. And it's like, you kind of, make a little mess and he tidied up and he's like what Tyson does in the song is that he makes a mess and he leaves it there (laughs) and I was like he's right like that is what I did and I did that in this song too I make this mess and when I played it on tour I would actually try to tidy it up because I felt weird like I would I would play at the end of it I played It Is Well With My Soul which is you know a song about a guy that lost everything and said I still choose you yeah and I think that's like what I'm what I'm trying to and I try to say at the end of it, what I'm trying to hopefully trying to say is that like, can you, like, can you, and really can I like flip the mess out there and look at the mess and still choose it? Mm. Because I think that's what love is. Yeah. Like, you know, if you love somebody until it's hard, you don't love them. Like, you know, like somebody that, you know, like the classic examples, like a couple that's engaged and they get into a fight and the girl takes her ring off. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you never put the ring on then. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You didn't. Like, it, it, this is the moment when you actually get to say yes, is that I still choose you when it's hard. Yeah. I still choose you when it's confusing. That's what love means. And that's what commitment means. And I think that also both of those things are required to be critical of them. Mm. You know, it's like to have a great love, to have a great marriage or to have a great, anything it requires poking at the places that it doesn't make sense yeah and still choosing it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense that's huge so i want you to just not stop talking right now (laughs) (laughs) soaking it in tyson yeah and i think part of what is so amazing about this song is yeah it's a mess Mm. like so much of the church so Mm. much of our world you know but the way that it it rounds out at the end i mean the very fact that there's you know a debate about Nietzsche yeah. uh, along the way. And then suddenly walking into a beautiful cathedral, St. Yeah. Joseph's Cathedral. Right. And then this kind of perennial truth that actually gets to the very heart of the gospel. Do you know what I miss? Being lost and then being found. Right. I mean, this side of heaven, I think that's actually the whole journey. Totally. Is never giving up on this fundamental belief right. in mercy. Right. That we are always lost and always being found right. again and again right. and again. I mean, that is right at the heart of our faith. And yet yeah. that's not very easy to communicate in a five-day summer camp yeah. and then leave people with lasting fruit that will actually carry them yeah. into a relationship that looks mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. till the very end of their lives. Well, and that was, you know? that was actually my, that was my biggest problem with those camps yeah. was, was, was saying like, what's going to happen to these kids? That's it. 
Like, what's going to happen? Because this is not. I mean, you know, like when you that's the line in there. This is like you can only come down that hard that you can only come down so hard that often. It's that's like, right. It's saying that like drugs wear off. Yeah. You know, and and the good feelings and the good vibes and the sentimentality of even a great experience mm-hmm. at a summer camp that is wrapped up in prayer. Totally. That will fade. Yeah. Then love is tested. Right. Then the relationship with God is tested. You know, yeah. put on the and, line. And saying like, man, I, like looking at those kids saying like, dude, they're going to hit something hard. It's yeah. going to come sooner or later. It's like something's going to come that's going to feel bad. Yeah. And, and if their moment with like God in that is that like God feels bad now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm over it. You know, it's like, and I don't, you know, but that's, it just, I just remember thinking like, I'm afraid for, I'm already afraid for these kids. Yeah, man. Like I'm already looking at them being like, my gosh, like, whoa, you like, you have no idea what's coming for you. Mm. And, and like, not to say that that's like, in, in like the way that a parent is trying to protect them or anything, you know, I'm like, like it's coming for you. And that's, actually like a good thing yeah because the goal is to not like i i have this i have this little talk that i give high school kids sometimes because i really like high school kids i think they're really interesting (laughs) and i tell them like you know occasionally a kid will be like what do i do about the future and i'll be like well if you figure that out let me know you know because i don't know but but i was telling them i was like you know like being young the way that i think about it is that you're you're like standing on this like rocky cliff like uh, i used to live in santa cruz is Mm -hmm. where i'm envisioning it it's like you know the rocky cliffs in santa cruz and it's like you're looking down there and this is the sea of youth yeah you are standing on the cliff at the sea of youth and i was like and you have two options in that moment is that you can throw yourself into the sea of youth with the knowledge that like you're gonna end up on the rocks like it's gonna hurt down there for sure or you can stand up here and wonder about it it's like those are really your two options. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, and I, I've told them too before, I was like, there are some things that like there are some sufferings and some bad things that there's no redemptive quality in. Yeah. You know, and like some the those things are like drug addiction, you know, alcohol addiction, sexual abuse. So some of these things are just like there's no redemptive quality in those. Those are just sufferings beyond the realm of what I'm talking about. Right. Mm. Like there's a but there are some sufferings getting your heart broken. <laughs> Yeah. You know, losing a friend and then gaining a fr- like there are these things that are universal human sufferings that are really positive. Yeah. In the long term, like in the short term, it sucks, dude. It's like yeah. brutal. I was like, but you have two choices. You can go down there and you can be somewhat reckless with yourself to a degree, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a point where it's like there's a place of no return. Yeah. Like, but you can be somewhat reckless. You could throw yourself in the sea of youth, or you can stand there and, and wait and see what happens. And I was like, and I feel like there's no question of which one is the right option. Mm. You have to like throw yourself in there and see what happens. Yeah. So, and that sometimes leads to us making a mess of things. For sure. And the the great truth that I've always held tight is that yeah, actually all suffering is redemptive apart from that moral suffering that we heap upon ourselves through sin. Right. That's the one exception. Mm-hmm. But even other right. people's sin that causes us suffering can be united with the Lord. And that's a powerful yeah. And I think very hopeful message. And I know that's yeah. not exactly what this album is trying to proclaim from the rooftops. Yeah. I think it is deeply what it is implying mm-hmm. through great poetry, great storytelling. Yeah. And also just this incredibly raw production. Yeah. That was, you know, from what I understand, more or less recorded live, not with, you know, endless tracks thrown on top of each other, yeah. uh, overproduced, <laughs> overpolished. Like the very production of this album is yeah. mirroring the very truth that we're sharing right now, which is that actually being real, being vulnerable, right. being authentic really does matter. Mm-hmm. Fear is the poison. Uh, yeah. That's my big take home. Before we wrap up today, yeah. Tyson, let us know how we can be staying in touch with you, just your social media handles, your website, yeah. and how we can be best supporting the the new album and the tour as it's uh, unfolding. Yeah, well, my... So T Motzenbacher on Twitter and Jaffe Writer is my Instagram handle. I think if you put Tyson Motzenbacher in there, it'll come up. And that's T-Y-S-O-N-M-O-T-S-E-N-B-O-C-K-E-R. It's a terribly hard name to spell. <laughs> but if you put that into anything, it should pop up. Yeah, and then just come see a come see Calling House and I. Yeah. It's gonna be great. 
That's going to be all over the country, right? It's pretty much everywhere. Amazing. Yeah. No we, Florida. Sorry, Florida. Oh, yeah. This is the right time of the year for Florida, by the way. You missed, all, you missed out on the weather down there. I always go down there when it's like August. February, yeah. Yeah. Oh, August when it's <laughs> yeah, hot. It's oh, wrong shoot. when it's wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, Tyson, uh, it's been an absolute privilege. I remember one more thing. Yes, please. Sean Watkins is his name. Yeah, that's right. There it is. Nickel Creek. Nickel Creek. Not to be confused with Nickel Beck. Very different. Who I think is... Who Switchfoot is going on tour with. Yeah. <laughs> Such a weird world we live yeah, in. It's very odd. I'm stoked it. for him. It's going to be a huge doer. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, Tyson, until our next, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, man. Peace. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to what was obviously a very beautiful, in-depth, and slightly longer conversation than normal. And next week, very exciting guest who I get to see on on a near daily basis, and her name is Marisol. Many of you know her because she's booking and and hosting and putting on a lot of our fireside house concerts alongside our artists, people like Michelle Mandico and Kevin Hyder and Jackie Minton. But Marisol is also the one who takes care of our patrons day to day and who helps me run the operations of our little movement called Love Good. And part of the reason we're bringing her in next week is to highlight some incredible stories from events on the road and especially conversations that she has had with our patrons. And part of next week is also furthering the announcement that we've already given you a hint of today, which is our 2020 contest for patrons to go out and rally new patrons and receive all kinds of amazing rewards in exchange for that, all the way up to a free all-expense weekend trip to Nashville, Tennessee, all right? So go ahead and check out lovegoodcontest.com. Get signed up. Be the first to be putting together your plan for what is going to be a very exciting month of March for all of our patrons all over the world and especially the United States as we rally and grow and also compete with one another. Hopefully some very healthy competition as we chase after these rewards. Again, lovegoodcontest.com. I'll be back next week with Marisol and y'all are amazing. Nothing but love and prayers from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Start enjoying our exclusive content and seasonal packages that will raise your standard for music, books, and art and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.